there's part of the country where an older way of life still kind of exists and belief in, in older things is still there. We've actually kind of touched on some things from the Appalachian region of America, which, you know, covers from the Catskill Mountains of New York through Pennsylvania and the Blue Ridge Mountains of Georgia and the Great Smokies in Tennessee and North Carolina. Now, we may get some havoc here. Appalachia. Appala- Appalachian. Appalachian. We're probably going to use a little bit of both. I think it really depends on where you're from. I, I, this is a debate that's went on for a long time. But this region is a source of a lot of myths and legends. There's a lot of primitive lore and apparently a lot of ghosts and creatures prowling about. We've talked about some, the Mothman, the Bell Witch, Dogman, Bigfoot, and the Flatwoods Monster. And I think tonight we're going we're gonna to talk about a few more Appalachian monsters. Because there's plenty. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I was talking to Eric before we started today, and and this particular topic, and, and I don't try to plug a lot of other things, but if you're into, you know, audio fiction, there's a podcast called The Old Gods of Appalachia, and it sort of tells some it's a, it's a fiction podcast, but it tells some stories based on Appalachian folklore. Uh, really, really well presented, I think. And I, I enjoy it. I haven't listened to very many episodes just yet, but it kind of got me down this little rabbit hole. And I've been reading a lot about Appalachian folklore, you know, their beliefs and all that. And, you know, I'm the monster guy. I, I love talking about creatures. And so I thought we would do a We could do an episode about Appalachian monsters. And so I threw this idea out there and I think Eric and I, Manage somehow to to barely cross over at all. I think we have one topic in common. Yeah, because so, there's so many topics. Honestly, there's so many out there. Well, and like I said, we've already covered some with the Mothman, the Bell Witch, the Dogman, Bigfoot. We're not going to talk about any of those tonight because we've already talked about them. To be fair, we could do a hundred episodes just on Bigfoot by itself, and probably multiple episodes on Dogman, and then you know the Flatwoods Monster. You have all these these different stories. Man, there's some really bizarre creatures in this region, supposedly. The first one I'm going to talk about is uh, called a wampus cat. Now, the wampus cat uh, has been seen from Tennessee to Arkansas, actually even here in Missouri. This cryptid actually uh, has had several origin stories. The first is uh, this one that I'm about to share with you. A beautiful Cherokee woman went out to gather food. Now, she knew the following day, the men of the tribe were preparing to go out on a big hunt. This Native American Indian, beautiful woman, was intrigued. She actually wanted to, in that society, she wanted to be a part of that hunting group. However, they were not allowed. Being a woman, she was not allowed to attend anything that has to do with the the men's hunt the next day. So we find her out here kind of gathering food and stuff. And as the Indian customs of the time and the tribe, the men would gather that night before the big hunt with a special ritual or a festival before they would go out leaving the next day. Now, this beautiful Cherokee woman was so curious while she was out gathering food and berries 
that at dusk she decided that she was going to sneak over and observe them. She didn't plan to interfere or do anything. She just wanted to learn more of what was going on with the, with the rituals of that time frame. So she disguised herself with the skin or a hide of a mountain cat or a lion, the, the, the story goes on to say. And that was to help keep her hidden from their sight, kind of camouflage her in. Now, however, this was to no avail, as one of the tribal shamans that was performing the rituals that night looked and made direct eye contact with her. He was very insulted that any woman, again, of this time frame, would dare, you know, enter into the ritual area to even observe what was being, what was going on. And in doing so, he called her out across, yelling, and said, you know, you have, I have placed a curse upon this Cherokee woman. And it is one that fused the hide of this mountain lion that she was wearing to her skin forever. And I guess an Indian term that was used at that point was a catamount. And somehow that catamount creature has now came into the being of known as what is the wampus cat. Now, for the once beautiful Cherokee woman, uh, they said that she cried out in agony all through the night as the pain was so intense as this fur melded with that of her own skin. And she you know, worked so hard to rip the fur off of her skin, leaving like blood and, and raw areas of her body. The following day, she was identified, obviously. She was marked. She was shunned by the entire tribe for daring to interfere on such an important ritual. And finally, the tribe banished her to wander the forests and the mountains of the Appalachia this area in southern Tennessee in particular, the, the curse not only melded the fur of the catamount to her forever, but it also gave her this ability of immortality. So she would forever be cursed to this form, and she would have this eternity, as the Indian shaman felt, to spy on other people, hiding and cowering in the cover from what she had become. And a lot of people in the Appalachian Mountains do feel that when they're out, that they're being observed from you know, a distance. The creature that follows them does it with such great stealth, not leaving much of a noise at all. Still, another origin story, also told by some of the American Indian tribes, uh, is now part of the North Carolina area. And it goes like this. There was a creature that lurked in the woods that the Indians called the Irawa. The gaze of this mysterious creature would drive people insane, maddening, and where sometimes the creature would then allow them to escape, almost like playing with them, but not before it caused even blindness. Still other times it was vicious and ferocious and would slash and hack, leaving any brave or warrior scarred and disabled for life. It seemed to be getting bolder, braver, And it would come out of the Appalachian Mountains and enter into the villages and started stealing small children, assumingly devouring them. Now, one particular brave warrior by the name of Standing Bear decided to put an end to this. He went out solely with the intent to hunt down the Irawa and to slay it. It did not go so well for the brave. He did track it down by following its footprints alongside a stream. However, the Irawa's keen hearing and the scent alerted it. So it turned and stared, gazing, locking eyes with Standing Bear, which paralyzed him, and then making him blind. It is said the monster then toyed with him, running around in circles, touching him as the blind Indian warrior lunged to and fro to attack, but the clever Irawa monster easily dodged his attacker. 
and mocked him, but not before slashing Standing Bear several times with critical wounds. Now the blinded and injured Indian warrior found his way, stumbled back into camp, and he found his, his maiden was there in the tent, in the teepee, and told her the story of what had happened and how this creature had again yet escaped. Now, he did not last much more than a few days because his wounds, the shaman said, would not heal with natural medicine. And then being blind, it is said that he either took his life or that finally he succumbed to his injuries. Now, the shaman that treated the husband found the widow of Standing Bear, a beautiful Cherokee by the name of Running Deer. She was so enraged by the death of her husband that she went to the same shaman asking him for help to defeat the creature, no matter the cost. The clever shaman told the woman, the Iroquois knows no fear of a human. He knows his stare will paralyze and blind any human attacker. The Indian wife, Running Deer, begged the shaman for help once again. At this point, the shaman produced what he called a magical mask of protection. It was constructed from the face of a skinned bobcat, and he helped her tie it on to disguise her face. The shaman then told Running Deer, go. Find the Iroquois by the way of his tracks, as your husband did. Then as you approach, go down on all fours like that of a cat. The Iroquois will not see you as a human, and it will buy you enough time to slay the vile creature. The shaman told Running Deer, you must be quick. You must use his weakness, which is drowning in water, for he cannot swim. Running Deer listened closely, and at that night adorned the cat mask, tracked down the Iroquois by following the tracks, and found it near a pond drinking. As the shaman instructed, she went down on all fours and slowly crept up on the creature like that of a cat. The Iroquois did look over his shoulder once, but only seen a cat, and paid it no attention. Running Deer then jumped from atop a boulder onto the Iroquois after he had looked away from her. The two plunged into the depths of the pond. She quickly swam ashore. Looking back, she seen the creature splashing frantically in the water, sinking ever slowly, and eventually the motions and the bubbles stopped, and she knew she had succeeded. It is said she then raced back to the camp to inform the shaman of her deeds, where he and the tribe thanked her. She told them that she had lost her husband and she had nothing more to live for, so she volunteered to wear the mask forever even after death, to protect the tribes and the area from any form of harm. Today, this half-human, half-cat-type creature has been spotted in particular the Tennessee and the Carolina mountain regions, even in recent years. People say that she does not often attack or do any harm whatsoever. However, this cat-like human cryptoid would often follow hikers, campers, and hunters watching from the depths of the woods as if she was guarding the area to make sure no harm fell upon it of the mountain region that she still resides. The creature is now referred to as the wampus cat, believed to be a female species. Regardless, it is accused of killing small livestock and often is described as having glowing yellow eyes more than not, and it travels on all four legs. However, if you are to face it, it will stand erect on its two legs, standing about six foot tall. It's also described as letting out a hair-tingling cat's cry to warn people that this is her domain and they are merely visitors. So the description that I found is that it's a large feline creature roughly four times the size of a male mountain lion, weighing up to 600 pounds with massive paws, green eyes, razor-sharp claws, and a long sinuous tail. 
but said to have an odor like that of a cross between a wet dog and a skunk. And I found that a lot of depictions showed it with six legs. Oh, I did not come like across that. four legs and then two, like, four limbs that it would use, like, arms, I guess. Oh, wow. Um, but, yeah, I mean, again, everybody agrees it's a large cat-like creature. Uh, that was one of the the creatures that I had, had done a little research on. And when you said you had it, so I let you, you, you told the story I was going to tell better than I would. So I'm going to talk about the Snallygaster, which is a very interesting name for kind of a strange creature. Uh, this one comes from the region up around uh, Maryland and is said to be a fearsome creature with a reptilian body, bird-like wings with a 25-foot wingspan, an alligator's head with a long, sharp beak, and occasionally said to have o- octopus-like tentacles. Oh, my gosh. It's kind of a little hodgepodge of everything there. Uh, supposedly, it has a ferocious appetite, and it preys on livestock and people. Now, legends of the Snallygaster date all the way back to 1700s, with German settlers in the region reported sightings of a massive winged creature that they called the Schnellergeist, meaning quick spirit. Uh, this name came about because of the way the creature attacks, uh, which is it flies over, it swoops down on an unsuspecting victim, and then sucks all the blood out, leaving just an empty husk behind. Now, the, the legend and the name evolved over time, and the creature went from being known as the Schnellergeist to the Snallygaster. Now, in the early 20th century, the Snallygaster became the subject of a media frenzy, with peak Snallygaster hunting happening in 1909. Uh, newspaper sightings just reported that the creature had been seen in the region, and they described the creature as having, quote, enormous wings, a long-pointed bill, claws like steel hooks, and an eye in the center of its forehead, making screeches like a locomotive whistle. Boy, this thing is fugly. Yeah. It got so bad that the Smithsonian offered a reward for the creature's hide, and President Teddy Roosevelt even considered postponing an African safari to hunt the creature. Now, the sightings of the Snallygaster ended when the creature was flying near a place called Frog Hollow, and it was attracted by the aroma of a 2,500-gallon vat of moonshine. Ooh. Uh, as it flew overhead, it became overwhelmed by the fumes and fell from the sky into this boiling mash. I love it. Now, revenue agents George Dansforth and Charles Kushwa arrived a short time later. Now, they had been alerted to the presence of this still, and they were there to shut it down. And, of course, they were shocked to see the dead monster floating in this boiling moonshine vat. 25-foot wingspan. That's a big vat. Uh, The two agents exploded 500 pounds of dynamite under the still, destroying John Barleycorn's illegal operation, as well as the remains of the Snallygaster. However, the Snallygaster, you know, the remains were were never presented... Obviously, there's never been one caught, so, you know, they've never been proven to exist. Stories did say that it had a fear of the seven-pointed star, and they said uh, paintings of the star can still be seen on barns in the region to this day Hmm. to ward off the Snallygaster. And in 2011, in Washington, D.C., they started an annual beer festival called Snallygaster that they referred to as a beastly beer jamboree in celebration of the creature. Interesting, interesting. All right, well, I'm going to touch on one called the Kentucky Wolfman. In Hazel Green, Kentucky, ironically in Wolf County, there have been sightings of a seven-foot-tall, 500-pound wolf that is bipedal, meaning walking upright. He has been dubbed the Kentucky Wolfman. He likes to kill, and he does nothing but kill. Origin stories seem to occur first in the 1970s and still continues today. This one has a little bit different description. 
of what you might think of as a wolfman. The creature has some unique features, some relating him to that of a gorilla due to its hairstyle and how it appears when it stands upright with the body shape. If you're in the mountains, the forest area, you might see rubbings on trees. Now, for hunters and and outdoors, that's not something that's necessarily uncommon where large creatures are at. Uh, In particular, bears often will rub their backs or their behinds against a tree for a long enough period of time they will remove most of the bark. Well, um, deer. I was going to say deer when they shed their antlers. They still do that. However, one of the things that the local hunters and, and outdoorsmen around in this area are quick to point out is, you know, bears are in this area. So it's common to see bear rubbings, but a bear will most generally reach up on the tree with their claws and claw the bark before they rub. It's part of their marking their territory. There are no claw marks above these areas. There's nothing up above like it reached up tall. However, the rubbings all take place at about a, a, an area where something would have been on all fours at about four foot tall. So quite large. I saw some of the pictures online during my research and like literally like all the bark almost was totally removed from something that had, had done these. They claim that this is the sign that the Kentucky Wolfman is still around. I said we've referenced Dogman before. Mm-hmm. If you remember on uh, our podcast with D.A. Roberts, he referenced Land Between the Lakes, which is in Kentucky. Absolutely. Which was that, that fascinating story he told about the attack on the, the family and, and the RV. Found up in the trees. Yeah. and Oh, yeah, that was a crazy one. Now, some investigators went out uh, a few years back to hunt this beast, the Kentucky Wolfman. Due to a local farmer uh, losing several calves, hogs, and goats over just a period of weeks. While they were in the area, they stumbled across a small crag just off of a creek. Uh, The area was full of large bones and was declared to be a kill site. Now, just describing this, I said a crag off the creek. It's, It's almost like the bluff rock had been cracked and it created... A, a loose form of a cave. However, most of the upper roof was not there. Imagine two gigantic boulders that just kind of left this hole in between them. Now, this area was about six foot wide, give or take. It kind of varied. Uh, there were some areas that had bluff rock hanging over top, but they found hundreds of bones, all of large creatures, mostly resembling that of like cattle. Now, to put into perspective, whatever this was, like the entire skeleton was here. So it wasn't like it tore off a a back leg and drug it here. It drug an entire full-size cow from God knows where across this creek, up this mountain, and in through this crag. For those of you who may not be familiar, livestock, big beef cattle, that type of things, you're talking these things can weigh five, six, seven hundred pounds. So this would take quite a beast to be able to carry that. So a lot of the, again, the locals say this is not a mountain lion. A mountain lion doesn't hunt this way. A mountain lion is incapable of dragging something that much weight. It can't take that much weight. And again, it was odd because, like I said, it wasn't just a leg bone or a rib bone. It was like entire skeletons uh, had been up here. And you could see gnaw marks on the bones themselves. Another account is of a man camping one evening, and it was winter. Uh, He was kind of a survivalist type, so he was out there. Basically, he said, you know, some people may consider camping in the winter strange, but I do it all the time. 
he caught a creature on his phone in a video. Now, the video, I will say, is kind of grainy because it's just at dusk, and it's probably no more than about five seconds. But as he is sitting at the camp, he hears like some branches break. So he pulls out his phone, and you see what I will describe as a wolf man using his hand and his arm to reach up over top of a bluff rock and pull himself up. You see his head kind of come up and, and kind of turn and look around like he's looking to see if anyone's there. Apparently, he did not see the camper, did not seem alerted by him at, at any means. He pulls himself up on top of the bluff rock, uh, now walking on two feet. Then he springs off of that onto four feet and just runs away and leaps off of another rock. Again, the whole video was maybe three, four seconds. But the size of this thing was what was so interesting. The investigators that went saw the footage. They went back to the actual campsite. And based on, even though the, the footage was grainy, like where how tall he stood against a certain tree, and he, he would have been something around the eight-foot-tall margin. Even when he dropped down on all fours and was leaping through, there was another tree that they referenced, and he would have been easily four foot at the back level on all fours. Again, this type of uh, video, you could even see it wasn't a traditional, what you would think of as a wolf man, but more of a gorilla body, very muscular, very uh, thick chested, broad shoulders. But he does have the wolf-like face in particular and a tail that is, is present. To put it into perspective, a lot of wolf prints in the area can also you know, be attributed or they try to say that this is what it is. An alpha wolf, the largest of the wolf pack, says that their prints can be about the size of a grown man's fist. A bear track uh, can be the size of a man's open hand with his fingers out. And the tracks that they have collected here are described as nearly 10 to 11 inches in length and wow. 8 to 10 inches girth or width. And they resemble that more of a human footprint with one exception, only four toes and like humans with five toes. Now, during the investigation, the hunters divided into two groups of about three people in each group. They both had encounters uh, about the same time, ranging from one, seeing something close by with uh, fur that they'd caught up in their camera running, and another uh, at a totally separate area that had branches uh, kind of snapping like they were being circled and a just kind of a hair-tingling wolf-like cry. They come to the belief that there is more than one Kentucky Wolfman, and possibly this was a pair. Uh, possibly they had offspring in the area which could explain maybe why so many of these are being seen, uh, even in different states. However, this one has been affectionately called the Kentucky Wolfman. Well, like with most monsters, and when you talk about Bigfoot, you'd have to have more than one. Yeah. Otherwise, the sightings end really quick, right? Because whatever it is dies. Whatever eventually. it dies, that's it. It's extinct. So here's another weird little story that I like, and that's the story of the Virginia Devil Monkey. According to legend, it is a malevolent and dangerous creature. Uh, preying on humans that is supposedly part wolf and part monkey. Hmm, that's a mixture you don't hear of. Well, much. yeah, no, that'd be really weird. Uh, in 1959, a couple were driving through the mountains near Saltville, Virginia, when an ape-like creature attacked their car, leaving scratches on the vehicle. Their daughter would later, when when interviewed later, would describe the creature, uh, saying it had light taffy-colored hair with a white blaze down its neck and underbelly. 
It stood on two large, well-muscled back legs and had shorter front legs or arms. She also described an encounter with the creature that had happened just days after her experience, saying that two nurses were driving home from work one morning when an unknown creature ripped the top off their convertible. Now, luckily, though terrified, the nurses were unharmed and made it home okay. Now, in uh, 1994, just the year before I graduated high school, a road construction detour forced an Ohio woman down a dark two-lane country road in the early hours of the morning. As she drove, a horrifying monster leaped in front of the car. It was all black with short, sleek fur, very pointed ears, and a long, thin tail. Standing on its hind legs, it was over six feet tall, with torso like that of a skinny man, with rear legs like a dog or a wolf. She said the monster's muscles rippled as it moved, but it left without any further harm to her. However, in the surrounding area, there were reports of livestock going missing that followed soon after her experience. So regular descriptions of the Virginian devil monkey do vary, like with a lot of these strange creatures. Other descriptions have described the creature as being medium-sized, three to five feet, with ape-like features, powerful legs, three-toed feet with sharp talons and a thick tail. Uh, they're said to be known for their incredible strength and agility, and then they can move very quickly through the trees and over rugged terrain. Now, the legend supposedly originates with sightings of some unknown primates in the Appalachian region, which is known for Bigfoot activity, so we could possibly compare the two. Now, the creature's ferocity and viciousness quickly became the subject of local folklore, and many claim to have seen the devil monkey attacking and killing livestock and even people. All right, I'm going to lead into another version, and this one is identified as the Cherokee Demon. Now, we've spoke a lot about cryptids from all over the world here on the podcast, but the next tale I have to share with you is just outright scary, and I will say it is the things of horror movies. Some investigators were asked to come out to check out uh, some very weird, mysterious torchlights that uh, some of the locals had been seeing in the, uh, in the vicinity. They had been also having sightings of a strange monster looking like a long-haired ape with glowing red eyes, and in particular, gray long hair around the head, almost as if uh, their hair was a different color than the rest of the body, the rest of the body being more Sasquatch Bigfoot type. However, all the hair on the head was like a silver platinum gray. The group had found some obscure notes and some stone carvings that several landowners had found over the past several months and years. There was a mention of a carved letter F in a square stone. There were some directions from that that said, basically, find me, the stone with the letter F, and then proceed west seven steps to find me. Very kind of cryptic, uh, unknown. But they, they sought to find this elegant carved F stone, and they found it in a nearby bluff overhang, kind of similar to a cave, and they decided to set up camp there in the mouth of the cave that night because it was dusk and just observe maybe, you know, what would happen during the night and to pick up their investigation the following day. Now, as they were setting up their camp, they had, a, they struggled to keep a fire burning in the camp. They said it was almost like as soon as they they would start to lose consciousness and go to sleep, that the air would, would become so stale that it was almost like something was smothering the fire. They all talked about getting chills. They also woke up under like they had been with water poured upon them. 
And this was during the time frame of, I'll say, early winter. So it was very cold. They needed a fire. But this was just kind of some of the things that occurred the night. Now, as they woke up, they were trying to restoke the fire. They were, again, these are seasoned outdoorsmen. They know how to start a fire. They're in a cave. It's, it ultimately is dry with the exception of a few drips. But they kind of laughed about it because they couldn't get a fire going. They couldn't keep a fire going. And they were all very chilled. But what happened next startled them beyond belief. Just a little ways back into the cave, up on a bluff, they noticed two torches that were burning. Now, this was 12 to 15 foot up in the air. So they were like, who lit them? Where did these come from? And then as they approached it with their, uh, they had some headlight, uh, you know, mounted on their helmets. They had some flashlights. They went back in the area. They found a guy, a woman, a person, humanoid, in a black cloak holding the torches, swinging them almost like, you would direct airplanes in or something. <laughs> okay, that sounds very, probably very weird. Funnier than it would be if you saw it. <laughs> yes. They freaked out, to say the least, and you know they, they called up and, who are you, what do you want, you know, and all this type of stuff. At this point, uh, this cloaked figure threw one of the torches down and it landed at their feet. Uh, I seriously think one guy had to go home and change his drawers. Then as they kind of looked back up, the torch was extinguished and there was no sign of this person. They immediately crawled up to that area thinking, well, there must be a cave, uh, you know, another passage. There was not. This was simply a bluff rock with no way down except for to jump or climb up or climb down. However, they did find what they described as a stone, a natural stone seat or a throne that Hmm. this cloaked figure would have been setting in with the torches. No sign of the other torch, by the way. Almost immediately, the, some of the other guys, this is a group of about seven people, was Dill down here trying to get the fire going, and he noticed a torchlight taking off across the field from across the stream. Ironically, from a cornfield, which, again, brings back the horror film, but also brings <laughs> up, that's very unsafe, I would think, to have a burning torch in a cornfield, but regardless. <laughs> a group of them decide to start following him, so they follow him up here. He turns around several times and... and Definitely notices that someone is following, but doesn't seem to care. Continues to follow a path, as they describe it, through the cornfield. And they had come to this kind of run down a shack of uh, a red shed. I won't use the word barn because the whole thing was maybe a 12 by 15, pretty small, but uh, a shanty. And he goes into this. The doors are tore off. The windows are off. I mean, it's, it's, it's in bad shape. They immediately go up, and he is gone. There's no sign of this guy again anywhere, no sign of the torch. There's no sign of, like, squatters or a camp or a fire, anything here. So they regroup. They go back to the cave. They decide they're going to divide the rest of the night, and by this time it's about 4 a.m. Half of them are going to stay at the cave. Half of them are going to go to this little red shanty of a shack. The group at the shack had one in particular, who said, I will stay in the shack. The other one was kind of down off over the hill towards the cornfield so they could kind of keep a better eye. The man that stayed in the shack, they, they decided they were not sleeping the rest of the night, <laughs> but he was kind of leaning up against the wall and all of a sudden something strong and hard hit the wall so hard it broke part of the boards in the wall. This man ran from the shed, which I can't say I would have probably handled it any differently. 
the noise of the breaking wood was heard from the guy that was down just over the hill in the cornfield, as well as this poor guy screaming. So he starts his way back up. But how the man that was in the shed that is now standing out here says he started hearing voices, women's voices, in particular, his mother's voice. Wow. Now, he went by a nickname, and he honestly, he said, no one's used my real name in probably 10 years, but my mother always calls me by my real name of Jacob. And he tried, he had a recorder going, and he, we, they did play that back. You could hear a lot of wind, but you could hear the voice. I will, I will give him credit. You could hear the voice. And it was something to the effect of, you know, Jacob, your father is in trouble. He needs you. Just very creepy. So by the time the guy in the cornfield gets up to this man, he is sitting, almost laying on the ground in the fetal position. This man says that, uh, you know, his, his mom's hundreds and hundreds of miles away. He is almost in tears. He said it has cast so much fear on him. He is now seeing things. He's imagining things. He is scared beyond recognition. So the guy from the cornfield has to help him back to the truck. And this guy is so skittish. He's just like, oh, there was, there's something following us. I mean, he, he's, he's out there. Going back to the cave, the cloaked figure appears in the cave <laughs> with the men at the known only entrance. He just pops up. He's up there in the throne room again. We're sitting up there on the little throne with the torch burning. At this point, you know, they're throwing rocks at him. They're trying to get him to say something. He never speaks, never does anything. Again, the torch extinguishes. He's gone. It's almost like they're just imagining this. It's not there. Finally, daylight comes. They find the letter F stone, which they do make some jokes on. We found the effing stone. I was going <laughs> to I was going to say something along those lines yeah. like F this at, at this point, F this. We found the effing stone. But it was a square stone, not, not primitively carved, but had the letter F in it. Almost what I would describe as something that would have been done professionally at a tombstone. For wow. like for a tomb. I mean, it was semi-elaborate. So they stepped it off, you know, seven steps to the west is this one note found. And they found some soft soil and they thought, okay, something's buried here. They dug, they dug, they, couldn't, they hit stone, they couldn't find anything. Finally, the guy stands up, one of the guys there, and it's about six foot ceiling height at this point. And there's these weird symbols that are carved in the roof of the cave that would be exactly seven steps to the west of this stone. They took some pictures of it. They couldn't recognize it. To me, it kind of looked like uh, braided Celtic symbols. Yeah. It was later identified by a Cherokee of a name that was given to a creature that haunted their tribes there. Wow. They looked around the cave and found more carvings, Indian, and it kind of started giving them more belief. At first, they just thought, we're just imagining that there's something here. There's gas out of the cave that's affecting us. You know, they're trying to be logic about it. Uh, it's driving us mad. So they go into all of this. They find out from talking to this Cherokee that the word, the inscription they found, transcribed to Supalu. And they said, well, what does Supalu mean? And the Cherokee elder says, basically, it's a Cherokee term that courteously says, please leap. Hmm. So 
they're like, okay, was this a message for us to please leave the cave? Or was it a message from the cryptid monster? You know, what, what, what caused this? And he says, well, you mentioned this red barn shack. There's something tied to that as well. So they revisit this the next day, dig down a little bit, and they find not the exact, but a very similar stone that is buried there in the center that also says Supaloo. So whatever it is, they're mm. thinking it's politely asking us to leave and we're going to do that. So they kind of wash their hands of it. Looking back into some of the history, the medicine man that was questioned, you know, he says that there, this is an old Cherokee tale that goes off, goes off. These words were used for warding by the Cherokees. So in his belief, the Cherokees were leaving these to the cryptid, to the monster, to please just leave us alone, give us space. Out of respect, we'll give you space. It did go on in research. There were 12, well, I will say, presumed sightings by individuals who have came forward saying they experienced this maddening fear, hearing things, seeing things from the Supalu, uh, from the Cherokee demon, as it is called. Of those 12, seven have vanished or took their own life with problems of insanity. Now, the Cherokee also went on to say, when you were in groups, you never saw the, the beast. You never had the experiences, the maddening. The man in the barn had, he was up there alone. He said that is one of the powers of the Supalu is he can only reveal himself or cast his spells or curses if you are alone in the woods. That almost ties back in with the Wampus Cat origin with that madness demon. True. That she, you know, went out to fight. It yeah. kind of sounds very similar. And again, Cherokee and Cherokee, of yeah. course, that was, you know, very common tribe in, in that area. But I could so see that being made into a horror film. Oh, it's terrifying. <laughs> Just listening to you tell the story was fascinating. So I had not, I didn't find that one. The Cherokee Demon or the Supalu. So the last one I have here is the Sheep Squatch, which is a funny name for what is arguably probably one of the scarier creatures that I found. I'm happy to report that on one of my many trips to Virginia, we stopped at a uh, kind of a gift store rest area and I bought a Sheep Squatch window <laughs> sticker and it presides on the back of our vehicle. So sometimes also called the White Thing, the Sheep Squatch does have ties to the Point Pleasant region. Uh, that we've talked about previously in uh, with the Mothman episode. That was where the Mothman was sighted. And the Charleston areas of West Virginia. Sightings kind of happened during the mid-90s across the region. Uh, and they described the sheep squatch as a large, furry, or woolly, white creature. Usually a quadruped, but sometimes bipedal. Sheep squatch is said to have a dog-like head with goat or ram-like horns, sharp teeth, and claws. Uh, in the original first reported sightings, it ran from people but it became more aggressive over time. And, uh, you know, it's possible that this is related to the white things or the devil dogs that are said to inhabit isolated wooded areas of Appalachia. Usually, they, these creatures would be described as having a dog-like appearance or resembling bears with long, shaggy white fur and hair. Now, the sheep squatch is said to move quickly and aggressively towards other animals and people now uh, while making terrifying noises. And victims of the state that their attacks feel very real and painful but they are often left with no visible wounds or injuries, and the creatures themselves seem to disappear as mysteriously as they appear. Now, in a series of encounters here, which the last one is, is again, the stuff of, of 
horror movies if you want. <laughs> but 1994, a former Navy seaman said that he saw the beast break through the forest. Uh, it came through the brush line and it knelt to drink from a creek. It drank for a few minutes and then continued on down a nearby road. Later that same year, two children claimed to have seen the sheep squatch while they were playing in their yard. Uh, apparently, it was startled by the children and it ran off through the forest, breaking what they called medium-sized limbs as it ran. So obviously, it's a big, pretty creature. hefty creature. In 1995, a couple observed a large white beast sitting in the ditch by the road. Uh, now, as you would do, as any of us, I think, would do, as they slowed down to get a good look at it, they noted that the creature had four eyes, and then uh, it leapt from the ditch and started to attack their car. Now, frightened, the, the couple, of course, sped off. They got home, and they found large scratches down the side of the car where the beast had attacked it. So, obviously, they had physical evidence. Whoa. 1999, a couple of campers in the same county as that couple driving down the road four years earlier they were out at night sitting around the bonfire having a good old time, you know, like you do when you're out camping, when they heard an animal snorting and scuffling around the camp. They said it sounded like a bear, but it didn't come into the light. They didn't know what was going on, so they kind of, you know, they're, they're keeping an eye on things. Suddenly, the sheep squatch charged out of the darkness of the campers. Uh, they, of course, jumped up and they ran back. Uh, in, it says into their house, so they maybe they had a cabin or something. I don't know if you call that cap, camping, but, yeah. You know. yeah. The beast chased them the entire time. Now... When you look at predator behavior, it is natural for a predator to chase a creature that is running from them. Uh, the initial attack could have been just simply a mock charge just to try to scare. I guess bears will do that. and, and Get out and of my area. But, you know, when they ran, it, it chased them. Uh, the white thing stopped at the edge of the forest when they crossed over the edge of the forest. Uh, and it let out a terrible scream. And then it turned around and went back into the woods. The next morning, the campers returned to the campsite and the trail home and found it torn up. In their words, like someone had tilled it up for gardening. So if you've ever seen that, you know that's like, that's a lot of damage. Spent some time there probably. Now, my favorite little sheep, sheep squatch anecdote is the one from 2015 near Folks Run, Virginia. The beast decided once again, this is not all that long ago, uh, it was spotted close to midnight by six campers at night in the deep woods. They reported a beast eight to nine feet tall with a shoulder width of four to five feet. So this is a big monster. Uh, one camper saw the beast at the top of a nearby hill in a crouching position, almost like it was watching them. And then when it stood up, he was like, holy crap, you know, he alerted everybody else. As he was alerting everybody else, they saw that it was started to run down the hill towards them. I mean, it was running full tilt, coming Booking down to it. get them. But there was a river between the two of them. And it was a pretty good sized river. They felt they were pretty safe. So it gets down to the river bank and it's snuffling around and it's looking, it's walking back and forth and it's watching them, you know. They're like, what, what's he going to do? Like, they're scared, but they don't know what to do. They're out in the woods. They're camping. Where are you going to go? So it begins to wade across the river. Ooh. It just walks then into the water and starts coming across. When they come out of the water, of course, the, the fur is all matted down and wet. They get a really good look at it. They said the, it, it appeared like a bipedal dog almost across the chest, just in super heavy muscles. Uh, just its fur is wet. And as it's coming out of the water, they hear a loud guttural screech from about two miles off from where they're at. The sheep squatch looks up in shock. Like they can see like its face. It is clearly not sure what's going on. Concerned. There's enough moonlight on the creature's face. They can see something is like it, it's a little scared itself. Maybe the campers are just watching this thing in fear. They don't know what's going to happen next. And then the sheep squatch lets out kind of a, what they called a pathetic whimper. 
and then in a sprint just takes off running in the opposite direction of where the noise came from. Whoa. So there's something out there that's scarier than a sheep squatch. Uh, of course, the campers quickly packed up all their stuff, threw it all in the cars. We out of here. And then re- reported it to locals. Like they, they kind of told their story to people they knew. They did not inform the authorities because they didn't think anybody would take them seriously and that they would be ridiculed. So I can see that. Yeah. See that. Well, Bill, is it time for headlines? I think it is. All right. So from the Blue Ridge Mountains Travel Guide.com, dated March 18th, 2022, I have Appalachian Folklore, Monsters, and Superstitions as the, the headline by Amy Lewis. And, and some of the story information that I got from the creatures came from that article. But at the end of the article, there was a, a, a little section where the author had talked to her Tennessee-based family about some common Appalachian-based superstition. And she was shocked by how many were still heard of familiar practice even to this day. And I've got a list here of 32, and I'm just going to read through them and you can see if you recognize any or if you're still practicing some yourself, Eric. I know I recognize quite a few. I'm, I'm intrigued. Never close a knife you didn't open or you'll have bad luck for seven years. Definitely have heard that, yes. I've heard that one. Keep a penny in your washer. In your washer? Yeah. I get in trouble for that kind yeah. of crap. My wife yells at me. Always go out the same door you came in. I've heard that one. Hmm? Eat black-eyed peas or collard greens with hog jaw on New Year's Day. Uh, sorry, not doing it. I don't do it, but I've heard it. Don't wash clothes on New Year's Day or you will wash a family member out. I had not heard, heard that, that one. one. Don't sleep on New Year's. I mean, we try not to. We right? try not but to. I'm As sorry. we get older, it gets Just harder. Say, yeah, it gets difficult. Don't do any canning or gardening on your period. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Plant your crops under the full moon. Uh, yes, Definitely. Don't walk under a ladder. If you find yourself under one, don't turn around. Back up. I mean, yeah. I've heard don't walk under a ladder. I'm not sure I've heard the back up. Don't let anyone sweep under your feet. Never give someone a set of knives as a gift. If you give them to newlyweds, it will cut their love. Oh my, hadn't heard that. If a black cat crosses your path, turn and go a different way. I have a friend who has literally stopped on, on on a back road and turned around and found a different route because a black cat ran out in front of his car. My mother in law. I will call her out is so superstitious with the black cat. She will, she would do the same thing. I mean, she would pull off on the side of the road and I've tried to explain to her and this may get bad, but uh, you know, if the cat doesn't fully cross the road, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. (laughs) We'll leave that at that. Okay. Uh, Never repay salt that you have borrowed. If a bad storm is coming, put a two edged ax into a stump facing the storm to ensure the storm goes around you. Wow. I never heard that one. Uh -uh. If you spill salt, throw a pinch over your left shoulder so you won't have bad luck. I mean, I think everybody's heard that. Mm-hmm. When you drop your fork, it means a woman is coming to visit. If you drop a knife, a man is coming to visit. I'd heard variations on that one. Don't cut your baby's hair before their first birthday, which I don't think anybody does really. Nah. Baby's hair doesn't get that long. Your baby has to fall off the bed before their first birthday. <laughs> okay. I don't know about that one. Hey, sorry, kid. You haven't <laughs> fallen off tomorrow's your birthday. Plump. Uh, run a chicken over your baby to keep it from getting chicken pox. A run, what? Run a chicken over your baby to keep a bit, keep like, it from getting chicken pox. A live chicken? A I know, but it doesn't say. You just rub the baby with, okay. Don't let a pregnant woman see a dead person or the baby will have a birthmark. I have heard that. I, I had heard, not heard that. I'd heard that. If cows are laying down or leaves are upside down, it's going to rain. Now my grandma swore by the upside down leaf thing. I uh, still watch for that. Yeah, I watch for that. And that is true a lot of yeah. times. 
Uh, hang a horseshoe upside down to keep good luck from running out. Or, yeah, upside down. I get. I think it means opening side up, I uh, would assume. Yeah, that's what I'm assuming, yeah. But wear a buckeye in your bra to ward off rheumatism. That seems like it'd be uncomfortable. <laughs> Is that a growth? <laughs> Hold your breath when you pass a cemetery or you'll be the next to die. My grandma used to tell me that one. I had not heard that one. If you see a white horse, you'll have good luck. Ohio silver. Man, you know, now that I think about it, my grandma did grow up in kind of rural Ohio. I mean, that's where she lived. And a lot of these, like my, I had heard from my grandma. My grandma used to give us a dollar if we saw a white horse driving on to a, to a place. More, I think it was just to keep the kids quiet when we were traveling because my grandma took us a lot of places. But um, hold your feet up when you're crossing a railroad track or you'll lose your boyfriend. So careful, <laughs> Eric. You don't Oh, wanna, no. Uh, if you're walking with someone, you have to go on the same side of a post or an obstacle or it will break your friendship. I had heard that one. Okay. I've, I got to interject here. Target. Most of us have been to Target. Yeah. They have these big, whatever you want to call them, uh, metal poles, poles that's yeah. rounded off in the front. And then a lot of times they'll stick the Target dog or yeah. something on them. I intentionally, I'm holding my wife's hand and I intentionally will go through that pole to make sure that she either runs into the pole <laughs> or has to let go of my hand. I, I'm, I'm that horrible, cruel. horrible person. But I do that every chance I get at a Target. All right. I got a few more here. Don't wash your clothes on Sunday. I'd be, I wouldn't have clean clothes yeah. Monday. <laughs> if your nose is itching, it means company is coming. Hmm. My grandma used to say that. Open the window when someone dies and cover the mirrors so that their soul can leave. I've heard that. I've heard that. Hang a mirror by the door to protect against evil. Oh, and finally, never leave a rocking chair rocking or you will invite spirits. And my grandma swore by a version of that. I remember specifically, you know, when you're a little kid, you lay on the floor, you know, watch TV, whatever. She had a rocking chair in her, her living room and I would stick my feet up under the chair and push Make it, it rock. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and she would, no, you could not do don't that. Don't you do that. You don't rock a chair with nobody in it. Huh. I can't say I've ever heard of that. So my grandma was kind of close to the Appalachian region, I guess. Huh? She took in a little bit of that yeah. teachings and passed it on to you and you didn't even know it. On my headliners, I decided uh, just to kind of talk a little bit more about the Appalachian Mountains, but how well, I will say they openly embrace it for the most part. You know, the Appalachian Mountain region is said to have more cryptid sightings than anywhere else in the entire United States. And I'm happy to report, after just returning from a trip to Virginia for about a month, uh, the fine citizens of the area's fully welcome questions and researchers and, for the most part, openly embrace what they're known for. So much of that stems from, uh, you know, cryptids to a point where there are several festivals and conventions in the area. So I thought I'd just share a few of those. The Mothman Festival, which we actually talked about in our Mothman episode. I'm sure we mentioned that one. Point Pleasant, West Virginia. That is going on uh, this year, September 16th and 17th. The Flatwood Monster Convention goes on at the Flatwood Convention Center. That is on September 9th of this year. The West Virginia Bigfoot Festival goes on in downtown Sutton, West Virginia. Actually, by the time this airs, you will have missed that. That's June 23rd and 24th. Then we have uh, the Lurch Festival, and I'm referring to the Adams Family. That is <laughs> it's in not Phil- a cryptid. <laughs> it's not a cryptid, but they listed it there. I thought it was strange. That's weird. Uh, Philippi, West Virginia, and that is August 4th and 5th. And, and this is where uh, the actor Ted Cassidy was raised. Uh, not born, but raised. He was born, I believe, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, Ted Cassidy was well known for his size, being nearly seven foot tall, as well as that deep voice. And he played Lurch on the Adams Family, as well as a great other many roles. 
So that's just a few examples of, uh, you know, the area. And let's face it, there's, there's a lot of times when, uh, you know, the paranormal and the cryptid and stuff, we are, our, our likeness for those gets laughed at and scoffed and made fun of. But I mean, these people, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we got that. I, I routinely go to Tennessee. It's where my in-laws are at. And my mother-in-law is just maybe 30 minutes from the, was it North Carolina state line? She lives kind of there in the foothills of the Smokies. And yeah, you're you're not you're not wrong. That area, the Appalachian region, they they embrace their stuff. My mother-in-law, just as casually as you and me talking, will talk about how the house just up the road is haunted. It's been there forever, and you know there was some some stuff that happened there. And yeah, no, it's haunted. And, you know, you you go into the mountains and stuff, or you go down to Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, and there's Bigfoot memorabilia. There's a a concrete Bigfoot statue that I was trying to like the darnest to figure out how I could get it in the car and get it home <laughs> thing was like six foot, seven foot tall. My wife just wasn't, she wasn't having it. So I don't know. On but our, yeah. on our trip home, uh, from Virginia. And I want to say it was in Tennessee driving along cornfield, the plywood cutouts of Sasquatch. There was like six of them just, you know, painted black, like shadows. And yeah. I was like, I love that. That That's is so awesome. cool. You know, I mentioned the sheep scotch, uh, sheep squatch, uh, sticker. That was in uh, an official government rest area alongside the road. They're selling stickers and stuff. Here you go. For those of you, you know, you've listened to the podcast, you know who I am. There is a Bigfoot-themed Philly cheesesteak restaurant on Weir's Valley Road in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. So that's almost kismet. Like, I have to go, You got to go there. (laughs) Have you been yet? I I just heard about it this year. So so I haven't been down there since. Yeah, Next trip. All right. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed sharing of a few of the storytellings of the Appalachian cryptids. Just a few more. And I'm sure we will revisit this one again. And there's a few, as Bill said, that uh, will probably be some standalone uh, podcasts in the future. We definitely appreciate each and every one of our listeners out there for taking the time to listen to us. Two old guys just getting together talking about weird and unexplained stuff. You have no idea how happy it makes us. Thank you so much for listening. Which the Seep Squatch, I got a lot. I got a bumper sticker on my car for him. The Virginia Devil Monkey. Devil Monkey. The Sheep Squatch does have ties to the point, but I'm already butchering this. The Seep, the... Uh, they were out at night around a bound, around a bound fire. Around a bound. <laughs> I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me <laughs> and uh, using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing. And thank Bill's family. For allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. And I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.